Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Hijabi Culture, the platform that celebrates hijab-wearing women who are challenging the stereotype and helping change the narrative of hijab in the media. My name is Halima, I'll be your host and let's get into this episode. I'm so, so excited to be bringing you this guest today. It's somebody that I've wanted on the podcast for a really long time and I'm so grateful that we managed to get her on. It's Lipanessa, she's a football activist and she's a grassroots coach and she's got some amazing stories and personal life experience which she shares with us so I'm very excited to get into that but before we do I just want to say a huge thank you to everybody who left me some positive feedback on my previous episode with Ola Labib. it was so great speaking with her and yeah I've just really enjoyed listening to what you guys have had to say and on a Separate note, I passed my senior exams, alhamdulillah. I just want to say a huge thank you to everybody who made dua for me because I know I previously mentioned it and you follow me on Instagram, you would have known that I was stressing about it. But alhamdulillah, we passed and we can move on. Um, but yeah, let's get into this fantastic episode. I'm so, so excited. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. How are you? Alhamdulillah, I'm good. But thank you so much for joining me today. And I'm so excited to have you on the podcast, especially whilst it's the Women's World Cup. I know you've done so much fantastic work and I'm so excited. So do you want to give them a bit of an insight into who you are and what it is that you do? Yes, assalamu alaikum. I'm a sports activist and a grassroots football coach. And what I mean by activist is I do my best to space for Muslim women and minorities women within the space of sports whether it be in governance or working with brands or working with countries and how did you get into this line of work that is a good question I ask myself this all the time but I think it was more of a let's just go now because instead of looking for someone you can be just just yourself and someone told me um, that they didn't have the, the role that they had during their time wasn't necessarily a job that they were brought up to aspire to because it didn't exist. And in our world, you could sort of be anything and anyone you want to be. So uh, sports activist, because why not? And I carried my journey from when I was 18 years old in university, every single networking opportunity there was and uh, conveyed myself as this, you know, undergrad studying student to now a sports activist. And I know one of the first things that you said, or one of the big things that I was picked up was that I'm going to change the world with a scarf on my head head, and a football at my feet. And how far has that phrase taken you? It's it's taken me into rooms I could, couldn't imagine as a, as, a, as a kid, to be honest with you. Um, so I, so first year of uni, 18 years old, I was like, what makes me unique? What's my USP? Because I saw myself as a business. So, uh, I wrote it down, um, on a piece of paper and I was like, okay, let's get, get some ideas down. And I was like, what makes me unique? My hijab, because I was literally the only one wearing the hijab whilst at uni and football, because that's what everyone else sees me as. They see me as the girl that plays football. So I put two and two together and made this quote. And on my business card, that was of strapline. And the moment it hit home was when other people remember me for my quote. And sometimes they'll forget my name, but they'll remember my quote, which was very, very humbling. And yeah, I mean, they always asked me, what is a hijab? What do you mean by that? And I always used to point at 
up and say this is one piece of of a hijab um which then spiraled into a whole conversation about hijab and islam and giving dawah like unknowingly so that always used to happen but alhamdulillah nevertheless no that sounds so inspiring and you say that you had a background in football so were you playing from a young age and what was it like being a hijab wearing woman in that space at that time yeah so i let's say i was told i shouldn't play football and you know it's a boys game uh lip you know what about you know honor you know you're a girl you should be playing you know with the with flowers outside or, you know, lying down on the grass. I don't know what the other girls used to do at break time and lunch times, I guess. But I used to want to just play. And they came from the boys and the boys used to play football. So I caught up with them. And my friend group turned into a very male group and their interests were my interests. So playing football, watching football, watching tennis, like sports was my life. Anything that was active um, and conveyed as sports was the avenue I was heading towards. And then later down in my school life, I decided that I can't juggle seven different sports. I have to stick to one. So I stuck to football and futsal. So they were hand in hand together futsal took over most of my life I didn't really take Mm. football seriously until a little bit later and yeah I think it was it was a PE lesson in year nine where my teacher was like Lippa like you should play football and I was like nah I just play for the school team and then year 10 came along and they're like Lippa you need to like play for a team because this is ridiculous like how do you learn all of this like do you already play for a team I was like nope in my back garden and yeah from then I basically get in um, friendly peer pressure from my uh, teachers Mm -hmm. Lippa you should go to training we'll drive you there we'll get permission from your parents and I was like oh no I'm not good enough you know and finally I did go to training one day and yeah from then I played for the under 18 under 16s under 18s um, the reserves and the first team um, and then I played for the first team at semi-pro level which was a dream in itself which spiraled into a, a nightmare I'd like to say which I got myself out of. And which club was this for if you don't mind disclosing? Oh unfortunately I can't disclose the team oh, <laughs> just no like a, yeah just because I believe that people can better themselves and um, I believe that the past is in the past and I really believe that people and clubs and teams can change. Yeah, definitely. And we've got to give them that space to uh, grow. But what do you mention this nightmare? Would you want to elaborate on the nightmare? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I was I was 16 at the time which when I signed my first, I signed my first semi-pro contract at 15. Then I turned 16 in like a couple of weeks. And then I feel like, as though after GCSEs and all of that, I was ready for spiritual change. So I started to wear my hijab, um, uh, parts of the hijab, shall I say. So my headscarf and when I was playing football, I wore an underlay, a long sleeve underlay underneath my t-shirt, long sleeve, like uh, long leggings. So like when I was wearing shorts, my skin wasn't on show. And if I could, I would get a little bit baggy top, a slightly baggy, pair of shorts and yeah I played my first semi-pro match 
and it was not like the fairy tale, uh, which I thought it would be. Uh, the opposition team, they started booing me and making aeroplane noises. Which I obviously, as a kid, I had no idea. Well, I, I did have an idea. I didn't want to accept it because I thought, no, it, it surely can't be that. And it was, um, they were referring to the tragic incidents of 9-11 uh, with the aeroplane noises. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Bearing in mind where I was playing was predominantly white, um, not diverse in any way, shape, or And I was probably, if you were talking about diversity in any way, shape, or form, I was probably <laughs> the only, like, I, I, I feel like I was diversity on the pitch. That's it. Um, unfortunately, the referees, the coaches, they weren't trained enough to deal with, um, to appropriately deal with the situation. So I just played the game. Uh, we were one nil down at half time. went into the changing rooms and you could, it was so eerily quiet. I'm not sure if you've ever been to a changing room at half time if you've played football before, but it's buzzing. Everyone's like sharing drinks or you know chatting amongst themselves but it was super quiet like you could hear a pin drop and you know the referee was like okay time's up like second half let's go and we went and I was playing with the wing and I assisted a goal and I was like okay we've got this a situ situation on the sidelines with the parents going on unfortunately um but I was like do you know what Let's not get this, you know, get this into my head. Let's just shake it off as much as I can. And it was, it was added time. I think there was five minutes or six minutes added time. And in that moment, it was still 1-1, one, one, so one all. And we had to get a goal in or they had to get a goal in. And then, yeah, a cross came in and I scored a goal. And it was 2-1. It was, And then I was like, oh, maybe this is a tragic story with a fairy tale ending maybe but after that game I didn't feel like I was welcome and I didn't feel as though football was welcoming I felt as though I was an outsider um and the support wasn't there education wasn't there for the support system in order to support me unfortunately and I felt isolated and alone but and I think that's how so many people feel when they're the only person like them in the same in that room and the management and the people above them haven't been trained effectively to deal with the with the person with the issues that they might be coming across and it's all new to everybody but when they're not equipped I think it makes us feel like we're the issue and we shouldn't be there rather than everybody else needs to kind of understand and learn and grow 100% I'm a big advocate for educating others um, and then when people do ask me about what job I'm always up for an open discussion because if we don't educate then the same thing's going to keep on happening because people attack things that they don't understand and yeah so that's how I started off my footballing career and then after that I let go of my career to study um, at university where I was the only hijabi studying at the whole university and I was the first woman wearing a headscarf to graduate from the institute which was oh wow where was this which university was this <laughs> UCFB Wembley so Wembley Stadium um okay so specializes in football business 
and university football business yeah and what was it like being the only hijab-wearing woman in, on that course? Because we've all been there. We've all kind of been the only person like us in the room. So I want yeah. to know if, how your experience differs to my experience. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. First time my parents literally left me in London, I was like so scared. I was, because you hear these like hate crimes, people graffitiing your door, horrific things. And with my prior um, experience with, you know, negativity, I was already a little bit on edge and I was like, wait, hold on, Lipa. No one knows you here. You could start fresh. And that is exactly what I done. I spoke to everyone, um, even though they probably don't speak to everyone. And yes, I felt isolated and alone for a little bit until people started to talk to me and started to remember my name and then shout, oh, that's Lipa. And people used to remember me because I was the girl that wore the headscarf and I was the Muslim girl. And if they had any questions on, you know, being South Asian, um, being Muslim, they always came to me. And I felt like I was advocating for my religion or an ambassador for my religion unintentionally. But I guess as a visible Muslim, you do become an ambassador. And what you do and how you display yourself really reflects on islam and you being a muslim so i was trying to be my best or be the best muslim i could be and they used to sort of at the end like slowly after a couple of months they used to be like lipa do you not need to pray oh lipa um we've got a prayer room or oh we want to meet in a pub but actually what would you prefer and it went from actually we don't want to listen to muslims we don't know about Islam. Um, Muslims are the only the only Muslims I've interacted with is on the media. To oh my gosh, Lip is my friend. Um, Muslims are okay. They're not they're not too uh, they're not too shabby or not like the yeah. So yeah, I became sort of a friend to a lot of people because I was the only one. And yeah, a couple of people came up to me saying, Lipa, like I hate. I absolutely hated them and I was like oh why what, what's the reason and they're like it's because everything I saw in the media like the only information I've got about Muslims and your religion was through the media or the mainstream media shall I say and they used to come from very you know white not very diverse communities and when they met me they had the same oh she's scary let's not go or, you know, what, what on earth is she doing here to when I was graduating? Oh, Lipa, come and meet my parents. And it was just like, oh, okay. So you could really change that. Like, I changed a lot of mindsets unknowingly. And that's just because I was just being my authentic self, um, but authentically being as Muslim as I could possibly be. And uh, I was still on my journey, still being a Muslim. And I, I, I believe everyone's still on their journey. I don't think anyone's perfect. So I was trying to be the best version I could be. So people, if ever anyone was like, oh, do, do you know a Muslim? They could say yes. I used to have a friend, yeah. have a friend, and this is how they're like.
Yeah, massively. I feel like there was some glimmer in there that mirrored with what I went through at university. So I was the only hijab-wearing person on my course. And weirdly, even though my, my I went to a university in Leeds, predominantly everybody on my course was from down south or abroad. So it was just very weird. I was the only hijab-wearing person in the room. And then I was becoming friends with all these people from down south, from communities where they did not have hijab-wearing, they didn't have Muslim people, they get hijab-wearing people. But by the end of it, there were people that I used to see every single day. I used to talk about politics, we used to talk about life, we used to just have conversations. And I was the only Muslim that they properly ever interacted with. So it was quite of nice to see that they were getting a positive representation of Islam from me and they were able to ask me questions and I always will come back to this one time you mentioned 9-11 and people making aeroplane noises but we had a lesson and we were looking at pictures and the impact that they have and storytelling through pictures and it was a picture of a plane going into the Twin Towers and everybody was voicing their opinions on how tragic it was but I had to take that moment to be like well I'm the old representation for me in this classroom or for Muslims in this classroom and I had my hand up and be like yeah it is tragic but that was a time that our lives changed forever and after that so many people came to me and said oh we completely understand like we never thought about it from your perspective like not all Muslims are terrorists not Islam is terrorism and that's not something that we thought about before you you said that yeah i really like so, those conversations especially like with open-minded people yeah you do like you could end racism with that person like th- their whole family could have been you know people that hated muslims race the, the whole lot but you interacting with that one person a certain amount of time could have just ended racism for them and that is just yeah. something to think about. Yeah. And coming back to the, your specific story. So when you were, you mentioned that you put your hijab, your headscarf on uh, around 15, 16. So what was that transition like of be- putting your headscarf on and then being part of that football setting that you'd always been kind of in and out of? Was that, was it a big shock where people like, oh, maybe she doesn't fit in as much anymore or it's going to be even more difficult for her now what was that conversation like 100 percent um so i'm i kept putting wearing the hijab or the headscarf on for a long time and then one day came and i was like i'm not living life to impress other people so i wore my headscarf and i was like okay let's just go for it like my Lord will help me through this, through these tests and trials. I firmly believe that. So I went in head first, I guess. And I wasn't confident when I was walking with my hijab. I felt like there was something there, you know. I was like a, I was sticking out, sticking out like a sore thumb, I guess. And everyone mm. was, instead of just saying, hi, Lipa, how was your weekend? Or like, how's school being? Or you know, those normal conversations, they'll look at me, they'll double take, they'll triple take, and then be like, oh, you, oh, how, how, are you good? Okay. And then the team was slowly like, I don't know, it was very different. I felt like um, a new member of, a, of the team, I guess. Not sure if I was welcome, but not sure if I wasn't welcome. I was in such a gray area. And I felt like an outcast for a long time. I felt like there was a massive target on my head because everyone kept on licking it. Um, and I used to love football. Um, 
but one training session this this coach and we used to be we used to be such close friends like in school you have the, your favorite teacher he yeah. was my favorite coach hi Lippa how you doing house family and then I started wearing my headscarf and we were doing some you know set play drills set play drills you know someone was taking a corner our role was to run in you know score, score a goal or some of some sort and I decided I'm going to use my head and whilst I was using my head my head scuff slightly pushed back but I was wearing an under cap underneath and this coach who's a goalkeeper coach turned to me that's why you shouldn't wear that stupid thing on your head and it I, I I didn't care that the opposition parents made so much noise and said so much things about me. But it, the thing that hit me was a person who I trusted saying something that hurt me so deeply. And I didn't know how to process that. And that was within the week of the first incident, incident happening to me. So all of a sudden, I hated my headscarf. I was like, why am I wearing this stupid thing on my head? And I let his voice get into my head. And I was just like, I don't want to wear this anymore. And then I was like, why, why do I have to be so different? And I was starting to blame myself, my identity. And then I realized, actually, I'm not the problem. They are the problem. Mm. So what I had to do in that, in that time was I handed in my contract during the transfer I could go on a on a dual contract, which means you're still so on loan, basically. So I went on loan to a different team, a league down, and I started to love the game. The coach was much younger. He was more educated, shall I say, within within the realms of diversity and inclusion. And I was loving the game. I was loving football again. But before that, I hated it. Before that, when I was playing for this team, I felt so far out to the point when my mom used to drop me off to train. I used to ask her, mom, just, just please just wait until they start playing. And then I'd go and she used to look at me like, is this kid crazy? Like she used to run out this door before I could even say bye. But um, now she's asking me to stay. That's a bit weird. And that kept on going on until I moved to this new team, which then again, because I absolutely loved it. And there was a lot of healing that had to be done because psychologically I wasn't in the best of spaces. But then allies came to my, you know, side and, you know, helped me through this. And this new coach was a white young man who helped me through um, hating the game to loving the game again. My PT were white men who helped me get through it um, unknowingly and until I actually spoke about it more and more. And my parents only knew after I spoke on a, a TV interview and the interviewer was like, oh, uh, have you gone through any Islamophobic abuse? And I was like, um, and I looked to the side and I could see my mom. I was like, oh, it's now or never. So I tell them the story and I could just see my mom looking at her phone and then looking up and thinking, oh, my goodness, this is why she hasn't been running out the door. So. Yes, it's been a lot of ups and downs, a lot of questioning the hijab, if I like it or not. There are a lot of times where I was fighting this fight within myself to think to, to, to think to myself that I'm not doing this for other people. I'm doing this for myself and doing this for 
doing this for my Lord, my creator, and no one should get between me and him. And so that sent me off on a journey, a spiritual journey to learn more about the hijab. So if anyone was like, why on earth are you wearing that stupid thing on your head? I can, I could answer that. <laughs> so no, that honestly, that's so inspiring. Like I know so many people who the one word from somebody on the street like not even something they look up to just a random person and they can't bear to keep it on because we want we don't want to be the odd one out we just want to be normal and it's sometimes we're not the normal person in the room because of that thing that makes us so visible but you've channeled it in such a positive way to make hijab and football your brand so how did the leaper who said that she wanted to take the stupid thing off become such a powerful person in the sports industry to making people say actually I can wear my hijab and I can play football and I want to do that it goes back to the the 17 year old me the 17 year old me uh, whilst doing my UCAS application I had to choose there and then what I wanted to do at university and I chose my university knowing that okay this is nothing like anyone has done in my community um, or a community that I'm aware of and it was sports business and coaching at a very male dominated university at a very open sports university which specializes in only sports so I I really I really went alone on this journey and I thought do you know what go big or go home let's let's get this let's do this and at 18 when I went to university I knew that no one knew me in London. I was a nobody. I was starting from rock bottom. Um, no one knew my name yet. And I was just that someone filling in a space with no purpose yet. So I first found out my purpose, what I wanted to gain and what I wanted to change. And it was so not another lipper goes through that. Um, so if there is a young kid that's, that was like me, that wants to be the first hijabi women represent their country in football they wouldn't have to go through the trenches to get there um and that is what I done step by step building my rapport talking to everyone educating people as I go and just being like a nice person and I think as Muslim that that should come naturally and it comes naturally most of the time so when you are that just genuine, nice person, people want to talk to you. People want to help you. And that's what I got. I got a lot of help from male allies and slowly female allies to get into, a, into rooms and spaces, talk to people of in, influence and slowly, slowly building up this snowball effect of, you know, um, being who I am today. And without 18-year-old Lippa saying, do you know what, let's just go for it head first. I wouldn't be here but as well as that I wouldn't be here without the negativity that I faced at 16 because I don't think I would have had the same hunger and drive to pursue and how much more confident do you feel in your hijab now being in these rooms where you bring people together you bring hijab wearing people you bring people from diverse backgrounds you bring everybody together in these rooms how do you feel knowing that you're at the center of that and that's something you've created I feel so empowered. Like it went from this foreign thing to, on my head to something I feel so comfortable in. And that's through education. And it's sort of like a, a crown on a queen's head. Like you you want to show it off. 
it like, yeah, look, I'm Muslim. This is me, you know. And all of a sudden, my shoulders go back and I'm smiling a little bit more. And the way I'm talking is a little bit unapologetic, but firm. And yeah, I I do reflect on that time where I I was thinking, oh, why well, well, on my head? And it hurts me to say that, but that was the past me. But now I'm looking at it like it wasn't stupid because you made a great decision to keep it on during a time where it would have been easier to take it off, but you didn't. So well done. And now let's go forward. And we, I've continued on that journey. And Alhamdulillah, I'm hit. Yeah, mashallah. And it's really inspiring because so many people would have just taken it off to blend in. But I think when, obviously we don't want to go back to the past, but so many times, like if you're at the, what you think is the pinnacle of your career, like it's make or break at this point. And you think, well, if I do this now, if I take my hijab off and I go in that direction, I'm going to see success beyond success. I'm going to be the first, let's say, just Muslim person on the pitch. But it's not always the case because the way we see it and what's actually in the plan for us is two completely different things. So sticking to your guns could be the reason why you're so much more successful now than you could have ever been on the pitch. Exactly. I always think to myself, imagine I took my headscarf off and then the next game I would have had a life or something and I wouldn't have been able to play football again. That would have been me like completely gone. So yeah. I do those little, oh, if, what if, but then I don't dwell on it too much because we shouldn't. And this is, you know, I, I always look towards positivity and change and gratitude. And yeah, alhamdulillah, looking forward. And inshallah, we, I keep it on until and, and until my last day, inshallah. Yeah. And talking about positivity and change and moving forwards, how empowering has it been for you and for everybody to see Nahila Ben... Benzina take the pitch for Morocco this Women's World Cup it's uh, what a time she appeared at such a great time especially with you know the French Federation Football Federation talking about you know you can't wear your headscarf um, you shouldn't wear your headscarf to Benzina saying actually I will and I'm going to do it at this World Cup <laughs> and this is how I'm going to do it <laughs> and it was so nice to watch her play and she's not only inspiring the next generation or the new generation she's inspiring a forgotten generation and what I mean by that is the forgotten generation of people that couldn't pursue sports couldn't play football because they either didn't have a space a voice or the capacity to do so and when I'm talking about the lost generation I'm talking about the women that had to give up on their life because they had kids or they got married or they came from a war-torn country and that wasn't easily accessible. And seeing Benzina and thinking, wow, I can become a fan or I want to give football a go. Um, even at the age of 60, like that is so refreshing. Like, yes, it's inspiring, inspiring you know, six, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, 10-year-olds, but it's also super inspiring that she's touching the hearts of those that we're seen as and just in general it just means that morocco in themselves are just lifting the hearts of every single person across the world with their feet in the men's world cup uh, benzina in the women's world cup it just seems that they're the ones changing the narrative of african countries in football there's been a lot of money pumped into football and it's for morocco and it's happened 
through a lot of years, a lot of hard dedication at the bottom. And then now we're seeing the fruits of it at the pro, pro game after many, many years. And that's because they wanted to see change years ago. And that's why we're seeing the change now. Otherwise, we wouldn't have seen the change until a couple of more years to come. And I think if you don't have a supportive government, governing bodies, you know, allies to support you, that progress and that the, the show of sportsmanship wouldn't be on display. And the way Morocco have done it is to touch the hearts of the people and not only through the game, but off the pitch as well. So they've done it both ways, um, especially as a, you know, not only them being an African nation, not them being, you know, um, a majority Muslim nation, but just being underdogs in the game because no one expected the men to go as far as they did. The women to play such great football. Yes, unfortunately they are out, but they gave in a good fight. And I think Cup, when Morocco are in it, it will be a year where the change will happen. And we'll probably see the standards of it increase. And I'm here. Yeah, definitely. And talking about hijab-wearing football players, mm. when do you think or how can we get more hijab or a hijab-wearing woman as part of the WSL in the UK? Is Do you think it's ever going to be on the cards? It'll ever happen? We'll get that breakthrough? Um, Inshallah. <laughs> <laughs> The reason why I'm saying that is, yes, that there's progress being made, but I've been saying this for years, and hopefully we will see someone wearing the hijab representing us, Muslim women, at WSL, on the world stage um, for a European country of some sort. But the issue lies within, like, talent pathways, which... I believe needs addressing even in England camps, which, you know, process, which helps the process of identifying potential players. Like when you're searching for a player, people look for certain things. And now we shouldn't go out and say, oh, she's wearing a headscarf. Yes, we need to recruit her for England or we need to recruit her for Scotland. <laughs> to do that is not what I'm asking you to do I'm asking for talent pathways to be more accessible and more um, flexible in catering for people of different norms cultural and religious norms and values because let's say a 14 year old girl needs to go to a camp in, an English girl needs to go to a camp in Australia to do a tournament now for a person that, you know, where then religious and cultural norms and values don't clash, that wouldn't be an issue at all. Because that's just, you know, hopping on, I mean, playing on a whole team and going playing a game and coming back. However, I know for a fact, if I was in that position, my Bengali parents would look at me like, are you silly? Do you know what they're going to feed you? You're going to be there alone? Don't think so. So these are like underlying issues that, yes, we still have them in our society like how can we tailor these tournaments or these pathways or these talent days for others better 
and to be more representative of the population. So yeah. yeah, massively. I think that's I was discussing this with somebody and yeah, it is the pathways for the everything to get more representation, inclusivity and diversity. You need to make it more accessible for people to get in. And that was something we were talking about just regarding the men's game because we saw one South Asian person come come into play and then they left the English league and are now playing somewhere else. So it's just how do we keep those people in England so that they can then represent us on a national scale? And then obviously we want hijab wearing women out there to be saying that, look, I'm wearing a hijab, but who says I can't play football? Which is a narrative that so many of us have been told growing up. Oh, you're a girl, you can't play football. You can't go around playing with these people because we need to get rid of that mindset that because I wear a scarf, I can't do this. I did mention that I'm also a grassroots football coach. And at grassroots level, I see the millennial parents come in with their sons and their daughters. And the sons are actually on the sidelines and it's their daughters that I'm coaching. So I'm seeing the shift at grassroots level by these Pakistanis, Bangladeshi men bringing their little girls to the football sessions. It's changing. Um, and that, that change won't be visible until, you know, a decade or two to come. But immediate change I think it's it's more deep rooted. I think it will take time. And also when you're, for example, a British Bangladeshi, would you want to play for England or would you want to play Bangladesh? If both came knocking at the door, which one would you play for? So it's also an identity crisis as well. I don't know. If you asked me that question, I wouldn't know. Um, if money was not a, I would not know which team to pick um and that's i think a lot a lot on someone that wants to represent both identities but is struggling so yeah there's there's a lot of conversations subcategories that we could go into but immediately i think making football accessible for all women and girls i think that's a great start whether it be that secondary school um secondary school age or later but also showing them that you don't need to compromise your religious and cultural beliefs because you know we know that already we've educated this is what we've done but if something were to happen this is what you can do i'm going to ask you a question and it, you might find it difficult to answer, but, but I've just been thinking about it whilst you've been speaking. And obviously, Morocco is an African Muslim country, and obviously, hijab is part of their culture. So do you think the reason why we're not seeing hijab-wearing women succeed in the UK is because he, the UK has a hijab problem? Do you think it's still seen in a negative light, and that's why we're not seeing it reflected in positively in our everyday lives from bus drivers to um, le the legal system to footballers to tennis players is the reason why behind that Britain having a hijab problem I don't think Britain has a hijab problem and if it does we shouldn't really put too much focus on it because then we're allowing other people who and our religion to have control over it and that's not something we should allow our young daughters to digest at all. Um, and for us as Muslims, 
we should be pioneers within our own religions to lead on our identities and yes let's say that someone's not participating in football because they're wearing the hijab fair enough that is you and we should respect that if someone's and we should respect that so if someone's like to us that they don't want to play football because they're wearing hijab fair enough i think everyone's faith is different to them and how they convey it and i think our education system our society here is now more open and when i say open i mean open-minded to different cultures different faiths different religions in comparison in comparison to our neighbors um mm. or surrounding countries uh, where they don't want anything to change and they will label it as protecting seculars secularism instead of saying oh actually you know we don't want to mix politics into sports however they do it anyways and britain does that amazingly within their sporting realm however a lot needs to be done not only within our communities as muslims but also allies and how we can allies to support us in situations where we can't speak for ourselves and we need allies because sometimes people will listen to them more than they will listen to us and that's why it's so important to have connections in rooms where our our voices are not represented yeah massively and you're one of them you're a voice that has shaped and led a crowd for people to say actually we need to be more inclusive in football in sports on a grassroots level and moving upwards so how do you feel i've asked you this but does it feel scary knowing that you're one of the change makers behind this um yes and no when i say yes i mean i'm scared because as muslims we believe we held accountable on the day of judgment and i hope that everything that i'm doing is out of purity of my heart and for bettering of my of of my faith um rather than you know having connections in high places having brands approach me that is not what i want i want my religion to shine and i want you know for the the purity to come out rather than you know um the aspect of this life to take take the reins of of my life so i'm scared because i know i will be questioned about it but i'm not scared as in the people because i mean hit hit me as hard as you can but i'll still get up i'm very resilient and that's because of what i've been through when i was younger and i know i keep on banging on about it but if that didn't happen i wouldn't be as resilient as i am today definitely and i think your resilience shines through i think from all the people we've had on the podcast i think you sound so authentic and passionate about what it is that you're doing and the fact that you're seeing results as well and you're bringing up the next generation through your grassroots coaching i think adds to that and it's a real badge of honor that you can wear that you're being the change in the industry so i'd like to think that yes and hopefully inshallah i'm inspiring someone out there to you know give give a, give sports a go whether it be a little girl or 
or a, a dad thinking, oh, should I take my little girl to football? Or if it would be like a 60-year-old auntie thinking, oh, I want to probably ride a bike. Or... Like, do it. Please do it. You know, voice your concerns and, you know, act with allies to make that change. Yeah. I just want to say a huge thank you for joining me today. And I really, really appreciated this conversation. We've done delved into so many different avenues. So thank you so much for your time, Lippa. No worries. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Hijabi Culture Podcast. I really appreciate you letting me be part of your day and for taking the time out. Please make sure to share it on your socials, with your friends and family, because a podcast is nothing without its listeners and I would appreciate all and any feedback. You can get in touch via Instagram at hijabiculture underscore or if X is more your thing then at hijabi underscore culture. Once again, thank you so much for listening. My name's Halima and this is Hijabi Culture. Assalamu alaikum.